Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dan Eds about his book, Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance. Dan Eds, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Ah, well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be with you today and to have a nice conversation. Uh, you're joining us from Belle, Bellevue, Washington. Mm-hmm. I love the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in Salem, Oregon, huh? um, and uh, I love that area. Today, we're going to be focusing on your book, Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance, which, you know, I, I just think this is a great topic generally, a uh, wonderful opportunity for, for uh, me to pick your brain and get some insights on, on leadership and how that will apply into, you know, a variety of organizational contexts. As we get started today, I wanted to share Dan's bio with everybody. For 25 years, Dan Eds is a practicing management consultant. He is the author of two books. His most recent is titled Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership. This book demonstrates how elite organizations are revolutionizing the practice of leadership, transforming the world of work, and setting new standards for employee engagement and customer value. In his consulting practice, Dan helps senior leaders design high-impact cultures of courageous and engaged employees. And man, that's what we need more of, right? We need courageous and engaged leaders. We need courageous and engaged employees, uh, healthy workplace environments uh, that ultimately will will lead to a whole bunch of really positive organizational outcomes and individual outcomes. Um, So thank you, Dan, for joining us. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background and personal context before we dive on into the details of the book? No, I think think you did a pretty good job of uh, summing it all up. Okay, cool. Well, let's dive on in then. you know, there, there's tons of leadership books out there. Uh, why why did you decide to write a book and wh- why this book? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Actually, when I started out writing it, I thought, does the world re- really need another book on leadership? Um, the last time I, I checked, there were 197,000 titles on Amazon. And basically, my thought is pick any five and you're going to know what all the rest of them say. So that was a very legitimate question. Uh, but it really came down to the idea that um, uh, organizational leadership really is best understood, not as individual traits of of people, um, but really as, as an organizational system. There is a way of doing leadership. The highest performing organizations, they actually design specifically, very specifically, they design ways of doing leadership, and then they coach and train uh, and mentor all of their leaders and managers in the way they want to see it done. Now, the, the, 
the 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 largest organizational uh, organization on the planet that does this the best is probably the United States Army with two million active and reserve uh, duty personnel, and uh, the Army has a very specific way of doing leadership. It's the Army way. It's not the Google way. It's not the Amazon way. It's the Army way, and uh, they're very effective in developing leaders because. They have a specific way they want leadership to be executed. And the same thing is true with the Marine Corps. And the same thing happens to be true with Google, but it's the Google way, not the Marine Corps way. And so that's what it, really what I was looking for in doing the research were, was how do the highest performing organizations, organizations that consistently day in, day out, year in, year out, how do they, you know, that, that are really performing at an elite level, how do they approach leadership? And so most books on leadership approach it from the standpoint of the individual person. Some person has achieved some great accomplishment. Well, what's their leadership style? What I wanted to do is come at it from the standpoint of the organization and say, how do great organizations approach the practice on the subject of leadership? I really like that focus. And I think taking a holistic systems approach an organizational uh, level approach is, is really, really important because the, the reality is you can have an incredibly dynamic leader, uh, someone who's, uh, you know, has a lot of the typical traits that we often talk about, uh, someone who has great influence, mm-hmm. has ge- genuine, authentic connection with his mm-hmm. or her people, mm-hmm. you'd have that individual, but if they're in a toxic workplace environment, mm-hmm. a broken system, mm-hmm. are they going to be able to be effective? Um, it, it's like when you, in, in uh, uh, American football in the NFL, you have a, a, a new quarterback that's drafted into a really struggling franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes once every blue moon, they mm-hmm. can help turn it around, mm-hmm. but usually it doesn't work. Right. And usually right. the, they, as a leader, aren't able to uh, make all the difference. And of course they aren't because there's the, the entire franchise. There's all the other systems and processes in place, mm-hmm. uh, all of the other people that are there that right. ultimately, you know, either are going to support or undermine the ability yeah. of the organization to be successful and for leaders to be successful. So we absolutely need to think individually about how, how do I, you know, develop myself in a you know, develop the leadership skills, competencies, capabilities that are necessary for me to be effective. Absolutely, I need to do that. Yep. But, but as an, as a leader within an organization, I also have mm-hmm. to think about the structure of my team and the other people that report to me. And how do I create an environment where everyone can be successful? How what policies, practices, procedures are in place that are either going to hinder or enhance what we're trying to accomplish? And I think that's what you're focusing on. I, I think that's super, super important. And I, I really appreciate that focus. Yeah, yeah, it is. And actually your observation is spot on. You know, there's all kinds of, of um, examples of men and women who have done exceptionally well within an organization. They, they you know, um, uh, see the, the grass might be greener on the other side. They go in, into another organization and they flame out. Why is that? And, um, you know, I think it was um, Deming who said a bad system will always, you know, beat out a good person. And if we ignore the systemic 
opportunity for leaders and for leadership development, um, we will get flameouts. Um, you know, one of the one of the um, one of the people I first people I interviewed for the book was a, a young man at the time when I had lunch with him. He was probably thirty seven years old, and this story really began about 19, when he was like thirty three or four years old. Um, he's a brilliant civil engineer. He's um, today, still today, working for one of the largest um, uh, engineering firms in the world. You know, a little company with five billion dollars in revenue and 19,000 employees. And um, when he was, you know, early mid thirties, he applied for a promotion, got it and realized it was a position of leadership and he didn't have a clue what he was supposed to do. And um, when, I, when I was talking to him, I said, so let me guess, they sent you off to leadership development school for two months and, uh, and taught you how to do leadership. And because he's a civil engineer, he takes everything seriously. He's got, I just got about the biggest about the size of saucer plates. And he said, no, they didn't do anything for me. And, uh, you know, so that is, that's almost shameful that a large company that's highly profitable would identify someone as an emerging leader and wouldn't won't spend a nickel on making them successful and so what he did because he's an engineer he designed his own system and it worked <laughs> it worked exceptionally well um when i was having lunch with him he said you know i'm, I'm one of 300 identified emerging leaders and he said um the, the crazy thing is they're all asking me how to lead and I'm the youngest of these 300 by at least 10 years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we can design systems of leadership and then train people to the requirements of that system. And what happens is that both the organization benefits and the individual person benefits as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's a win-win all the way around. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's let's zoom in a little bit on the metaphor you use. The guiding metaphor for the book is genetics and DNA. Yep. Why did you choose that? Um, you know, how does that relate to yeah. you know this idea of organizational DNA? Let's yep. unpack that a little bit. Well, broadly speaking, uh, a DNA molecule is a fabulous example of a system. It has all of the attributes of a system. Um, if you, 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 you think about the human body, there are 11 systems, depending upon how you want to count them, there's 11 independently identified systems within the human body. Um, and uh, they're all completely and fully integrated with the other. So if you take uh, any one system out, the body is going to, um, the, the functioning of the body is going to be uh, at best reduced. At worst, it'll stop functioning altogether. But each of those systems, let's take the, you know, the circulatory system, the skeletal system, the muscular system, they're all completely and fully integrated with each other. Uh, and so the sum total of all systems is that the entire human body can be, the functioning of the entire human body can be maximized. So take that analogy and apply it to the organization. We know that organizations are networks of interconnected systems. There's the HR systems, there's the financial systems, there's systems to, um, um, uh, there's marketing systems, there's systems to engage employees. Most of the time, 
um, without, without the concept of design, those systems are siloed. And that's what we see in most of our organizations are siloed organizations where, you know, the head of the head of HR, they're sort of their own, their own silo. They never really interface with, um, you know, with the marketing systems. Well, what a shame. What would happen if they were fully and completely integrated? Um, even more, you know, we talk a lot about organizational culture. Culture is the result of leadership and the integration of all of those systems or the lack thereof. Um, why do we have organizations where the, the culture is toxic? People don't wanna work there. They could hire the best, the smartest and the most brilliant engineers or whatever in the world, yet they don't stick around because the organization is toxic. Um, and that's simply a reflection of, of leadership, both at an individual basis, but even more um, at, uh, at the systemic level as well. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's all right. And so it, it again, it, it begs the question, you know, how do we establish, how do we develop yeah. and maintain these systems, right, to, to right. make sure that we are creating a high impact organization mm -hmm. that's going to produce great leaders and right. support great leaders, right? Right, right. Um, so, so what would you say are some of those characteristics of a high impact organization that's going to create that kind of a self-sustaining system? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, the first thing is, um, and this is going to sound strange, but know what business you're in. Know what value it is you're trying to deliver to your customers. And that's different for every organization um, as, as it should be. So let me just give you two examples. Um, two examples actually used in the book. Um, one is a large healthcare organization. They own and operate two different hospitals. They have nearly 10,000 employees, um, dozens of clinics. Um, and they also happen to be recognized as one of the safest hospitals in America some have speculated um, they might be one of the safest hospitals in the world, which doesn't sound like much until we realize that um, depending upon how, the, how you want to do the calculations, accidental and avoidable deaths in hospitals 
is somewhere around the third or fourth leading cause of death in America. So a safe hospital is a big deal. And so they have, um, they have structured all of their systems, including leadership and building culture around um, error-free healthcare. And uh, all of their values, everything is focused on, we want to develop error-free healthcare. Now, on the other hand, another hospital that's um, about 60 miles away is a small rural, rural hospital. They don't do um, complex high-end medical procedures. It's a small rural hospital. Um, that's just not what they do. And so they're not, while safety is a concern, they're really focused on community health holistically community health. So all of their leadership, all of their systems, all of their processes, all of their, the way they engage with their employees, it's all focused on community health and improving the general health of the community as opposed to you know, optimizing patient safety. Neither one is right, neither one is wrong, but they are correct for those individual organizations. And when they, when they make that decision, we want to produce a healthcare system that will produce error-free healthcare. Everything then pivots to that singular vision, that singular goal, really that singular value um, that they're trying to provide to their, to their patients. And that is where culture and leadership starts. It's that single idea what is the greatest value that we can provide to our, 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 our customers? Yeah, a, a customer-centric focus, I think, has mm -hmm. to be at the heart of every organization if you hope mm -hmm. to have sustainable success. Uh, that then feeds into, you know, uh, an overall people-centric organization. Mm -hmm. Starts with mm -hmm. a customer focus, then a people mm -hmm. focus, and yep. then you align your, your uh, strategic priorities, you know, around those elements, right? And ultimately... Hopefully that the system that we have in place is going to be able to support both of those things. Yeah. Um, uh, the only thing I might change slightly from what you just said is that it's, it's the culture that then um, can transition to providing that because ultimately uh, it's culture, it's organizational culture that uh, drives sustainability um, in, the, in, the, in the sense of high impact high performance. Um, but you're absolutely right. When you start out with what is what is the customer, it's not even what does the customer want. It's really what's the greatest value that we can deliver to our customers. Um, in, the, uh, in the book, I, I referenced a, a small manufacturing organization. And um, it's really an astonishing organization. They're totally focused on the customer. But it's really what they're really looking for is, is the total value that they can deliver based on the relationship. It's more than just um, selling and designing and manufacturing, you know, products that are highly functional, but it's the total, totality of the relationship that, and the value of that relationship that they focus on. So consequently, if you want to do business with them, get in line <laughs> because um, they don't do business with anybody, just anybody. Um, they only do business um, 
with organizations where, for example, your values are in alignment. Um, uh, most of their customers, most of their customers have been with them for decades um, and wouldn't think anything of going anyplace else. Um, but, uh, you know, they, you know, people will call them up and say, I've got these this list of specifications. Can you give me a price? And they're liable to say, well, first, why don't you send me your value statements to see if we, if we are in alignment? And um, that's where they start. Consequently, everything is, is really designed, all of their systems and their leadership is designed to produce the maximum value that the relationship can, that the relationship can produce. Um, so just as an example, um, when I had the, uh, the, the president uh, on the phone, I was talking to him about his company. He was very upfront. He said, we practice servant leadership. And uh, I said, well, okay, that's great. How do you do that and why? He said, because I want every one of our leaders and managers to understand that their primary role is to serve the needs of their team as they deliver value to our customer. It is the, the frontline worker that, it, that creates the value that's going to be delivered to our customer. So our leaders and managers have to have that mindset that they are serving the frontline worker. Um, they are the, 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 the first line of defense in the battle against waste because waste means value that cannot be provided to the customer. And everything is is. Uh, based and driven off of that. And if uh, they happen to hire a leader or manager that says, well, I don't think I like, I want to be a servant leader. They're probably going to say, fine. Um, you know, you're not going to work here very long though. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Great points. And finding that alignment, I think is super, super important. Um, we've already kind of referred to this a bit, but maybe as we start to wrap up, we can now zoom in on the impacts on employees and how they benefit specifically from this kind of a leadership approach. Well, you know, uh, um, so I've got all kinds of stories on how to talk about this. Um, I'll give you one, one quick illustration, though, that really got me uh, into doing the research. I had finished a project for a, it was a large state agency. Um, this group, uh, they regulate 450,000 healthcare providers, and they were, a, they were by any measure a mess. And um, uh, did this project, um, there was light at the end of the tunnel. They were excited about um, how they can, uh, you know, um, improve their operations. And I'm, I'm, I'm having my last conversation with the deputy director. My, literally, my hand is on her, the door of her office. I've got my coat on, my, 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 my briefcase, my computer bag is in my hand. I'm walking out the door and almost in a confessional tone, it was a very soft, almost a whisper. She says, you know, I don't even tell my friends where I work anymore. And I turn around, I said, why not? She said, it's just too embarrassing. That really got me thinking about what is going on, and uh, and what I what I saw is that when organizations approach the practice of leadership in a systemic way, um, they think about their culture. What happens is that human beings who work there thrive, 
They enjoy being there. They enjoy going to work. It's still work, but they enjoy the process. And the, the thing that I kept seeing and the thing that I kept hearing was they listen to us. My voice can be heard. My voice is appreciated and valued. And this is the place I want to work because my presence, my intellect, not just what I could do with my hands and putting, you know, round pegs and round holes, but my intellect is valued and appreciated. And, uh, and I, what I, I, I saw human beings who were consistently transformed into being better human beings, more self-confident, more self-reliant, more self-empowered. So these organizations are not only producing great products and great services, but they're also developing better human beings. And I can't think of a scenario uh, when it comes to business and organizations that's any better than that. And if I could spend the rest of my life doing that, I'll be a happy man. Well, very well said. Uh, great example. And, you know, I, I think this isn't rocket science, but it is hard because it requires consistent attention, mm -hmm. uh, uh, consistent intentionality, and then attention to uh, doing kind of the fundamental things, you know, over time sustainably, right. uh, creating that culture, like you said, that will ultimately sustain the organization in a healthy right. way. It, it well, is intentional. It's not, it yeah. doesn't happen by accident. No, I mean, culture will emerge by accident, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be the culture that you want. That's a psychologically safe or healthy right. culture that's going to help the organization succeed. Right, right. <laughs> Unless you're intentional. Yeah. Uh, well, Dan, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. I appreciate all of your insights that you shared. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your book, sure. uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. Um, best place to contact me is through my website, danieleds.com. Um, you can find the book on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Best place, though, happens to be what be my website. Um, I get a better deal that way, free shipping. Um, but you know, the, the final word that I that I that I always like to leave is 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 really this: organizations can be places where human beings thrive. We're just talking about this, and. Um, what I, the, the, the beautiful thing that I found in doing the research for my book was that high impact organizations, um, they're recreating the world of work and making it a place that's dynamic, a place where people can thrive, where they can grow both personally and professionally. Um, and by the way, they are also producing extraordinary value for their customers. We don't have to take this logic that says, well, I can be people-centric or I could be um, customer-centric. It's not an either-or. It is a both-and. And, and uh, I would even argue that the better job we become in terms of, of being people-centric, the greater value we deliver to our customers. And by the way, we become highly profitable along the way. So what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a false dichotomy that people make uh, to justify uh, the unhealthy environments yep. that are, are existing and perpetuated within organizations. Yep. Yep. And it doesn't need to be that way. We, we can 
change that. Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for all the insights you've provided. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Dan can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.